Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Hello, Seska. You're looking radiantly maternal. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, March 15, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 784 of the Biden-Harris administration, 601 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on Instagram, the Bob Seska, Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go, spoutable, just Bob Seska, and our Patreon is bobseskashow.com. Charlie Pierce, the writer I want to be when I grow up, returns to the show today. You might know Charlie from his Esquire blog, his appearances on the Stephanie Miller Show and NPR. Well, we talked about the bombshell story in The Guardian today about how Trump's troth central? Troth, truth central. Truth, troth central. Whatever it is, it's under criminal investigation by SDNY. Shocking for Russian money laundering. And I asked Charlie some of the questions posted by our Patreon subscribers, which is something I'll be doing more often with our interview guests. So make sure to sign up at patreon.com slash show. Lots of classic Charlie-isms today, and we even talked about why Charlie hates the movie Field of Dreams. Okay, here's my talk with the great Charlie Pierce. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Yeah, you don't have to turn on your video. You can turn off your video. This is uh, audio only. Good. Now I can take my clothes off again. <laughs> now go ahead. <laughs> so I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, I need to ask you about this story in The Guardian about an apparent SDNY criminal investigation into possible money laundering through Trump's social media app. Have you seen this story? No, I, I've been busy doing other stuff today. Oh, my uh, God. I've been, I've been sort of I've been sort of out of it. Out of the uh, out of the loop. Yeah, but we all I mean, we always knew he was laundering somehow, didn't we? I mean, I thought that was I figured that was going to be the primary way they finally got him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is uh, laundering Russian money through, you know, you know, one of his either through his properties or some other way. Yeah, this emerged, I think, out of the uh, the FTC's investigation into whether Truth Social could merge with DWAC, which is that shell company that would get it on the uh, on the stock exchange. And so I think oh. this this came out of that 
And now SDNY, the U.S. attorney there, is investigating this. Yeah. Apparently, $8 million were transferred from two different banks, and one of those banks has linkage to Putin. I think it's one hop away from Putin. It's like the bank, then another Russian, and then Putin. And at some point, Trump Media's CFO, Philip Juhan, or Yuhan, considered returning the money but then never returned the money. And then on there's another dimension to this where Don Jr. evidently brokered this $8 million influx of cash into Trump media. So the, <laughs> we can add this to the endlessly growing list of possible criminal prosecutions of Donald Trump. And this is absolutely a criminal investigation. Yeah, I, I mean, I always thought, you know, from day one that, the, that, that, that they were going to get what was going to bring him down was some kind of money laundering. Yeah. Whether it was the, you know, overpaying for the, for the condominium in Florida or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Remember they, they, they had that Russian guy who, <laughs> who paid like, a, you know, a gazillion dollars for the fertilizer King of Russia. It bought that moldy estate somewhere in Florida. And then it was at a significantly inflated price, like well yeah. beyond the value of a a property that was apparently falling apart. And so, yeah, that's an obvious example. But it looks like they're onto the trail of actual money here, where they've found a bunch of cash that was pumped into Truth Social that uh, they have now linked to Russia. I mean, if if, if they put if they put eight million bucks into Truth Social, what the hell did they do with it? <laughs> That's just it. Well, one of the reasons why they didn't give it back is because they kind of needed it. That was one of the explanations yeah. in the uh, Guardian piece. But there there are all kinds of get ready to add like maybe a half dozen more Russian names to your list of Russian names to try to memorize. Oh yeah. Well, what, what is, is what's his name involved? Who's the one? Who's the guy? The, the guy who's like the zealot of this thing. The guy that was was Manafort's pal. Oh, I can't remember uh, his name now. Konstantin Kalimnik. Is that who you're thinking of? No, no, not not Kalimnik. It's another guy. Oh, Deripaska. Uh, yeah, Oleg Deripaska. Is yeah. he involved in this somehow? Uh, no, not that I can tell. The bank is called. It's an offshore bank called Paxum Bank. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the Russians is Alexander Smirnov. Smirnov. And Anton Posta, uh, God damn, I, I I can't believe I'm trying to pronounce. I mean, these I know. That, I, I mean, I knew there was a reason why I never finished War and Peace. <laughs> I know exactly. Anton Postelnikov is the guy's name. The other bank is ES Family Trust. Once again, here SDNY steps up, and it's interesting because yesterday I got I heard through a source that a source at SDNY that we should get ready to celebrate. And I don't know if it's this news or if we're closer to seeing some form of indictment in SDNY coming out of SDNY as a consequence of this. I don't know which it is, but all I know is apparently this is cause for celebration. So I'll take that. Whatever opportunity there is to celebrate uh, some sort of criminal prosecution of Donald Trump, I'm fine with that. Well, I'm I'm expecting a... uh you know, a, 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 a rat in the maze video from Don Jr. any minute now, <laughs> you know? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely, because he is specifically named in this thing. I mean, he's been called out in this Guardian piece. So I'll be interested to see, too, if any of the other papers of record duplicate this reporting. I think that usually is the indicator that we've got a serious lead here. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that's been your experience, too. Yeah, the uh, it, you know, it, it'll it'll be it's interesting to me that the Guardian got this and the Times didn't because the I mean, it's a, <clears throat> the Times is pretty wired into SDNY. Yeah. Well, here's the lead. Federal prosecutors in New York involved in the criminal investigation into Donald Trump's social media company last year started examining whether it violated money laundering statutes in connection with the acceptance of $8 million with suspected Russian ties. According to sources, the company Trump Media, which owns Trump's Truth Social platform, initially came under criminal investigation over its preparations for a potential merger with a blank check company called DWAC. It was also the subject of an earlier investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission. All right, I said the FTC before. It was the SEC. All those initials get all scrambled up. Oh, I notice here Cash Patel is, is mentioned, as well as Don Jr. Let's see who else. <laughs> This is so much fun. Yeah. I love I love the fact the guy's first name is Cash, by the way. It, it's a what? It's one of Donald Trump's central casting names. That's he loves those sorts of things. Oh, Cash. <laughs> I, I just I love Cash. Anything having to do with Cash. Bring it on. I don't know if it's a person named Cash, it's just as good as real Cash. I uh, presume there's I presume there's no comment from any of the Trump people. No, no. They made specific mention of that in the piece. No one else uh, commented on this. A spokesman for Don Jr. declined to comment. Orlando Nunez Patel and Yuhan did not respond for requests to comment. So that's a big nothing right there. Not a shock. You know, usually these guys can't wait to comment on an ongoing investigation, right? Right. Uh, no, I, 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 this is, I'm going to have, I really am going to have to catch up. This is, this, this shows you what happens when you're doing the dishes, you know? <laughs> well, Hey, do you think we're going to see an indictment on the stormy Daniels, uh, hush money front? Is that going to turn into anything? I, I, I mean, it sounds to me like they've got a, you know, it, it I, I guess it all depends on, on, on how, on whether or not the grand, the members of the grand jury believe Michael Cullen. Right. Right. Uh, because, I mean, if, if, they, if they all believe Michael Cohen, it sounds like a slam dunk. Why do you at least get an indictment out of it? Wasn't this grand jury just impaneled in January? I don't know that the whole Stormy Daniels case was much of a priority for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, with everything else that's going on, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, it, it'd be God's own joke if that's what finally gets him indicted. Yeah. A lot you know, of people paying, paying off the porn star. I've seen a lot of, uh, I think uh, Chris Hayes was saying something along these lines and, and a few others. There's concern out there that this is going to be the first thing and it probably shouldn't be the first thing. Where do you land on that when it comes to, oh, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not legal mind enough to know what, you know, to, not, you know, to, to figure out the, the, huh. the, you know, figure out the legal strategy five moves ahead. Right. Uh, it, it just, it just sounds like the, the, the people working this particular, you know, <laughs> the people working working this chapter in the uh, in the annals of crime in the annals of crime, as they used to say on the radio, <laughs> it sounds like they got a break and they're just ahead of everybody. It just seems to be moving so quickly, especially when you compare it to the other grand juries that we're talking about. Whether it was the special grand jury in Fulton, then the subsequent grand jury there, we got two in in D.C. 
This one seems to be snapping right along, and maybe because it's a little bit more open and shut. I have no idea. I'm sure we're going to find out. Well, very, it's, certainly, very soon. It's, it's certainly a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, abs- <laughs> absolutely. The question as is, work. Do- as, as, as it were. <laughs> Do you, uh, and I get exactly what you're talking about. Uh, so do you think they're going to be able to successfully elevate this to f- like felony status? Or are they going to be stuck with uh, a misdemeanor here? I guess it all depends oh, on whether. I mean, I mean, I, I mean I, 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 again, I don't know enough about federal election law. Yeah. Apparently, the key to it is an election law violation, right? Right, right. That, so- he, that he, paid her off, he paid her off and it somehow it had to do with the campaign. If, if the Trump people can prove it was just, you know straight out hush money. It has nothing to do with his running for president, which, uh, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, because I'm sure, Co- I'm sure Cohen's, you know, got a Trump card on that particular issue. Uh, I, I don't, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I, I don't think anybody is going to be inclined to like knock it down to a misdemeanor. It doesn't look like, it doesn't sound like the prosecutors are, are in this just to like clear a case. Yeah, no, I don't you know, think the, so. I don't. It doesn't sound like they they would be inclined to deal this down to a misdemeanor. Just from what I've seen, it seems like it's going to be a bit of a struggle to maintain felony status with these charges. But as I've been saying, and and I'd love to hear you weigh in on this too, Charlie. I feel like a lot of these criminal prosecutions, and certainly the lawsuits. Uh, whether we're talking about Dominion and Fox News or the myriad lawsuits against Donald Trump and certainly all the criminal jeopardy that he's in, I feel like the real advantage here for those of us on the normal side of the ledger is the journey, is the actual course of the prosecution and discovering new things throughout uh, discovery and, and as evidence rolls in. An example being all of these text messages in the Dominion lawsuit. To me, some of that information is almost as valuable as Dominion winning that lawsuit. And you can apply the same idea to Donald Trump as well. The chances of successfully prosecuting and convicting a former president has never been done before. So I feel like calibrating our expectations toward discovering new things in the course of the prosecution and using that to our advantage is where we should really set our expectations. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I understand the, I understand the pragmatic politics of that view, but the guy is a, a massive crook. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he really, I mean, he really does deserve jail mm-hmm. for all he's done. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I get impatient with the notion that this is, you know, this is un this is unprecedented and we've <laughs> never done this before. We've never had an ex president like him before. Yeah. I mean, un, that we know of. I mean, maybe John Tyler turned out to be a you know, in, <laughs> in addition to being a racist, a big thief, but or, you know, Chester Arthur was, you know you know, a Gro- you know, Grover Cleveland was apparently quite the quite the coxman. So who knows? <laughs> but uh the, 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 you know, it's unprecedented because this is this was an unprecedented administration with you know headed by an unprecedented president i mean i mean there aren't any there aren't any historical rules that apply to this guy well this is it and i think my pragmatism i think and i'm not super pragmatic on this but just as far as looking at the long view of history i feel like this process also involves establishing what future investigations would look like 
And in that regard, I kind of understand the slowness of it, if that is even the motivation. I, I have no idea if the slowness has to do with a concern about history or concern about the politics of prosecuting an ex-president and what the blowback might be along those lines. I have no idea if that's a point of consideration, but if it is... I can kind of understand that, even though I'm probably just as impatient as you are. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not so. I'm not so impatient as I am. I am concerned that you know that would be a that that would be a a a, a concern of the prosecutors at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you can't get every single duck in line. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes sometimes it's. It's it, it's 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 time to launch the, the to launch the prosecution, and hope that you know the reality of the prosecution, you know, obtains you more evidence, yeah, uh, or obtains you a few more witnesses. Do you think he actually ends up, let's say, prosecution somewhere? For the sake of argument, let's say the January 6th grand jury turns into an indictment, turns into a prosecution, and actually lands a a conviction. And there is a prison term worthy conviction in all of that. Does an ex-president actually go to prison or does it turn out to be some kind of house arrest, some sort of modified uh, uh, location, maybe one of those... uh, kind of country club style prisons where they can maybe. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're going to send him to Leavenworth. Yeah, no, no, I no. I mean, I, you know, he, he'll go, he'll go to, you know, if he were to get convicted, he'd go to one club fed or another. Uh, yeah. But uh, that, I mean, let's let you talk about putting yourself, putting the cart way ahead of the horse. Uh, <laughs> you know, know. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, that's putting the, that, that, that's putting the cart over in the next county. He has a thousand, a thousand steps down the the road. Come on, I'm having, come on, I'm having fun with metaphors here. Uh, But (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I, I think to be honest with you, I think the, the January 6th case, uh, while it's, you know, clearly I think the, the the most egregious Mm -hmm. offense to come out of that particular administration, I think pinning it on him is a tough sell. Yeah. I mean that's a I mean that's a that's a hard thing. I mean, unless there's there's evidence, you know, direct evidence from a witness or some, you know, texts or something that directly uh, you know, has it, you know, has him directly talking to Stuart Rhodes or somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're gonna try to make the case that the speech he gave on the mall was the direct cause of what happened in the Capitol, uh that's going to be a hard sell. I mean, that's, that's going to take a lot of fancy talking. Yeah. I, agree. Uh, yeah. I think to be honest with you, I still think the phony electors is the most straightforward, uh, criminal case, mm-hmm. uh, not involving, you know, his personal money or, or the company's money in yeah. terms of, of direct crime in office. I think, you know, putting together that strategy, uh, you know, I still, I still think Fannie Willis has got the best, straightforward criminal case involving the election than anybody does. Yeah, and she seems to be the most fearless of the prosecutors, at least that we've seen on the public stage so far. So I feel like, yeah, that's going to turn into something. And uh, Yeah, and and, and, I mean, she's got a lot of people she can scare. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, mean, from Lindsey Graham on down, (laughs) there are other people whose 
denial. I mean, Lindsey Graham claiming that, you know, calling the, you know, his contact with the phony electors is somehow covered by the speech and debate clause. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, that's that's just not right. Uh, I, I mean, I still think I still think that's the most straightforward criminal case involving, you know, the events of, of November of, of 2020. Yeah, yeah. Leading up to January of 2021. Yeah, and I don't know how uh, how Alvin Bragg is going to get around the extortion defense on the Stormy Daniels matter, back to that particular case. Because it seemed to me as if one of the only ways, and this is so disgusting to even bring it up, but it seems like one of the only ways they could possibly prove it is if there were either a blue dress, like a, a stained blue dress, that uh, that old yarn, or if they actually had to photograph Trump's penis like they did with Michael Jackson to see if it matches the witness description of what they saw. I don't know. How do you, how do you work your way? I mean, it seems awful. Like, Oh my God, those are the two options to prove that he did what he did, but they're not going to admit in any way, shape or form that there was any sort of relationship with stormy Daniels, that this was pure extortion. So I don't know how uh, Alvin Bragg gets around that defense. I'm just sitting here being stunned by the possibilities. <laughs> um, Sorry, I did that on the Stephanie know, I, Miller I, show I, this I, morning. I recall, there's, a, there's, a, there's a classic Mike Royko column about a guy in Chicago uh, who was on trial. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing to laugh at. It's, he was on trial for rape, but the the identifying characteristic on the guy was he had a gold chain run through his foreskin. Wow. And Royko goes on and on, like, you know, with little asides, like the, you know, the prosecutor who never dreamed he'd be doing this when he was in law school, comma. And Royko's conclusion was that the justice would not be served until this guy was standing on a, on, on a, on a, on a, uh, an elevated train platform. Somebody grabbed his gold chain and ran like hell. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I you know, unless I, I mean, God help us, unless there's video. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, but but again, are, are we really going to believe? Are, 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 do you think we can really believe the, uh, the 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 notion that he didn't know this woman at all, or or that you know he, he you know this isn't the kind of woman he would do this with? Yeah, this is a really good question. Again, I don't know how they're going to prove that linkage to dispel the notion that it was some form of extortion, but it seems like uh, there would have to be more than just Stormy Daniels' own testimony. There would have to be more evidence to be able to, uh, to show that, and it seems like they could possibly have that evidence already in hand, even though this grand jury, as I said, has only been impaneled since, uh, you know, what, two months ago. I really, really hope that they have something more than just Stormy Daniels' very, very familiar and kind of gross description of what happened. So, uh, but- I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm sorry. I'm still stuck back on having the evidence in hand. Uh, <laughs> sorry, man, I'm just walking right into them today, aren't I? Well, uh, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you what, you are feeding me layup after layup here. It's really, it's real, it's really very nice. But uh, is there a, did they make, did the judge in Texas make a decision on the, on the abortion drug yet? 
Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that's come down yet. It may since we started talking, but I haven't seen anything prior to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's you know he's conducting it under these weird circumstances, where he you know he's telling you know he he's had first of all he's having it in Amarillo, uh, which nobody apparently nobody can get to. Second of all, he's 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 doing it virtually in secret. Yeah, I don't know if you read the Times story, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot. There's a remarkable amount of ongoing fallout from this administration. Mm. Oh and, yeah. yeah, you know, in terms of the federal judiciary, it's going to be there for years. Yeah, it's a it's a goddamn shame. And the thing I keep thinking about along those lines of this uh, possible this pending Texas decision is whether or not they're going to then up the ante to some of the morning after pills that are actually covered in the Affordable Care Act, which don't necessarily induce an abortion, which are intended to only block fertilization, which by definition isn't, uh, you know, an abortion. One thing we know about that side of this particular issue is that they don't stop. Mm -hmm. Because I, I have always believed that the ultimate goal of the conservative project on this issue isn't Roe v. Wade, it's Griswold v. Connecticut. Yeah. Conservatives, these conservatives do not believe there is a right to privacy in the Constitution. Right. And I think that's what they're after. It's, you know, ultimately that's the goal, is to have that reversed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're doing, you know, they found a, they found a way in with, with, with abortion, uh, which will then morph, I guarantee you, into birth control. Yeah. Oh my God. Which was no the doubt. which was the which was the basis of the Griswold decision in the first place. So yeah, I mean, I you know, the, the, as we said, you know, this is this you know, I know it's impolite to bring this up because because almost nobody ever does, <laughs> but this is the only the only side of a national issue that has a body count. Do you get the sense, Charlie, that what's happening here in a macro sense is kind of a soft secession? It's not obviously literally secession that's going on with some of these red states, but in spirit, what they're maybe attempting to do is making, if you're anywhere in the vicinity of normal and you happen to live in one of these states, you're in essence being driven out of that state. So it's like this soft balkanization or soft kind of secession that's happening with uh, a lot of these laws. They're not literally separating but they're culturally dividing themselves in a way that makes it untenable for anyone outside of that ideology to actually live there. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I, I think it, I think to me, it's more like a soft return to 1850. <laughs> yeah, well you said. Know, yeah. Because, you know, ordinarily, you know, you'd, you'd have these, you know, in the, in the post-Civil War, uh, and and certainly in the post-Warren Court era, you'd have you know a Supreme Court or a federal judiciary willing to step down and step in and knock down these these crazy laws. We right, don't have right. that anymore. Right. Uh, so you know, and as soon as as you know, I I you know I, I think I may have written about this a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, as you know, blogging amnesia can set in after a while. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, uh, you know. I ha- I've written that what you've got in the case of, of especially of uh, abortion is you've got a de facto repeat of the dynamic of the fugitive slave law. Yeah. 
if you're going to ban abortion in Texas, the only way to keep your law in Texas from being ridiculous is to forbid people from leaving Texas to get what they want. Right. I mean, this is you know, now we're right back to Lincoln talking about, you know, the you know a house divided against itself can't stand. Uh, and what people don't remember about that speech is it ends up with him saying, uh, I don't know which will prevail, but what I do know is that the country will cease to be divided. Mm-hmm. It will either be one thing or the other. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the long game that's being played now. You know, you've got this, this, this completely batshit insane uh, lawsuit by the guy down in Galveston who's, you know, you know trying to get his ex-wife charged with uh, murder. Because she, you know, she quote unquote conspired with his friends to have a medication abortion. It's unbelievable. You know, and I mean, that's, I mean, that, uh, and, and, and what, and what she did was, you know, relieve herself of a fertilized egg. Is this part of the bounty hunter law that they passed there? Or is that separate? I think I'm not, I think it is, uh, uh, I, I, I'm not sure what the status of the bounty hunter law is right now, but uh, it, 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 I mean, this, this guy got a hearing on it. So apparently it's covered under something or another. Unbelievable. And it seems like the only choice you're going to have as a reproductive age woman in state of Texas, any of these red states, any of these gulag states is to bail out now or end up getting, you know, wired into the borders of these states, <laughs> you know, eventually, feels like, uh, you know, chain link fences and build that wall around the borders of red states to keep people in. I don't know. I'm just trying to game out where this ends up landing. And well, I no, have a hard time dispelling that notion. No, I, I, I you know, I, I know. I mean, you know, judging, I know. But I mean, judging by the reporting on the deliberations in the Supreme Court uh, that eventually emerged with the Dobbs decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, that even the conservative justices were 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 uh, Roberts anyway was wary about the vast field of unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah. That 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 decision was going to you know was you know basically Roberts was saying you know let's let's narrow this down and and you know let's let's you know tr- let's try not to have to be judging abortion cases from now until twenty twenty not until you know the the year twenty five twenty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because there's one ramification after another after another, and you and and as you see, you got all of these state laws. They're going to wind up there sooner or later. Also related or semi-related is uh, New York Times v. Sullivan and this Dominion lawsuit plus the Smartmatic lawsuit, which is now moving forward. Do you think the text messages from the Dominion suit and maybe further information we get from Smartmatic? is going to carry this case over the Sullivan hurdle. So it's a giant hurdle to clear. Uh, I think you've talked well, about no, this that, quite I mean, extensively. I mean, I mean, that, 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 that's all. I mean, I had to take this because, you know, one of my most carefully uh, kept uh, secrets of my past is I actually went to journalism school. <laughs> and, I, you know, I had to, we had to take a course in, in, in journalism law. Yeah. And it was emphasized to us very strongly that actual malice is a really high bar to clear, especially if, if you happen to be a celebrity mm-hmm. or if you happen to be famous or you happen to be, quote unquote, in the public eye. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I happen to think that 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 Sullivan that Sullivan v. Times, you know, was brilliantly decided. 
I mean, I think it was, I think it was, you know, a classic example of, of, you know, finding exactly the right remedy yep, to solve agreed. the problem. But now you've got, you know, you've got at least Clarence Thomas and, and Alito who are at least, you know, overturned curious about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and we both know why it's because they're both carrying, you know, grudges the size of a camel, you <laughs> know, from their confirmation hearings. Right. And I suspect Kavanaugh is too, for that matter. So what happens with these two lawsuits then? Does Sullivan oh, I, block? I, I think, the, I, th- I think, you know, un- unless, you know, Murdoch is completely senile, he settles both of them. I see. So because I think Dominion will win. I don't know enough about the Smartmatic, but it sounds like they did the same thing there. Uh, you know, and he's going to wind up, you know, regretting that he ever, you know, he ever made common cause with the likes of Sidney Powell. Okay, today's show is brought to you by the After Party Podcast on our Patreon page. Every Friday, Kimberly Johnson and I record a fourth Bob Seska Show podcast for the week. But this one's totally different from the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. The Friday After Party Podcast is loaded with all the politics you want, while also including uncensored, completely obscene conversations about sex, drugs, rock and roll, movies, our personal lives, all the crap we can't get away with on the free show. So please help support this podcast by subscribing to our Friday After Party for just $10 per month. And bonus, you're also going to get two Shadow Docket shows every week included in that level of support. That's bobseskashow.com or just click the all caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. Thank you. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Bob Seska! You know, and one of the things I was thinking about, too, and this would be really clever on behalf of Dominion, if they really want to smear Fox News's face and shit on this, they should make as part of the settlement a requirement that Fox News air on its own network in prime time an entire mea culpa about the entire thing, about the duplicitousness and the lies and the difference between what was going on behind the scenes versus what they were saying on the air, uh, uh, their ridiculous sources like that. Uh, that woman Marlene Bourne, who you know, is, had she, a, is she the one who talks? Is she the one who speaks to the wind? <laughs> yes, and had her. She was internally decapitated, and uh, God, I'm, I'm forgetting all. Oh, she thought that uh, Antonin Scalia was murdered while he was hunting human beings in California. I mean, these are some of the things that their source was saying, and this is one of their principal sources that connected. Uh, well, I don't. I, you know, I don't dismiss. I don't dismiss the possibility that Scalia was hunting human beings. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know what? I mean, now I, you, I, mention I, it. And, you know, I, uh, you know, make, you know, 
you know, you know, run, Bubba, run, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I can see it too. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, that that's the that's the woman who Sidney Powell was depending on, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you get Dominion's lawyers saying, "Okay, we'll knock it down from eight eight billion to six point five billion if you run this program." Mm-hmm. Exactly. Then you got to pay a six point five billion. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, how much could it cost? To and you're not a- allowed. Yeah. And you're not allowed to accept any ads on your Maya Couple program that aren't from the ACLU or NARAL or 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 you know the the Brady the, you know the Brady Bill people. <laughs> You know what? The more I think about it, if I'm Dominion, I would lean on that as being the end-all, be-all of a settlement. I wouldn't even care about the money. If you can do that, if you can air a one-hour mea culpa where you lay it all out and you say, yeah, we lied about election 2020, and oh, by the way, there are a few other things that we lied about too, but maybe I'm overreaching on that. But to do that kind of a special would be so unprecedented for Fox News. And their loyalists would be completely confounded, I think, by that, wouldn't they? Well, wouldn't I the think, first of, first, of, first of all, about 30% of their of their, uh, their regular audience would stroke out immediately. <laughs> you know, yeah. Meemaw, Meemaw and Grandpa will be dead in the recliner, uh, <laughs> you know, about halfway through that. And you're not, you know who has to host the thing is Shep Smith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Or uh, hey, I think we, Bob, you and I have got the whole thing planned here. <laughs> we need you know, to uh, send a memo or something to Dominion. Hey, here's absolutely. a great, great send, idea. A, send a memo to the Dominion lawyers. Uh, you know, we're, we're sorry, hosted by Shep Smith. <laughs> and we will co sign it. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> so, you know what? I got these questions here from my Patreon subscribers on my Patreon oh, okay. page. You ready for like a, yeah. a lightning round of questions here? We got, you know, it turns out a lot of sports questions for you. I'll, I'll take a couple. Sure. Okay. So uh, Charles Bemis asks, why not public financing for the elections like we do the presidential election? Let's make the people the special interest that must be attended to, not the people with the most money. Also, why not get rid of the Electoral College and have a simple nationwide vote absolutely eliminating all swing states? What say you, Charlie? Oh, I, I, I've been on the get rid of the Electoral College bandwagon for years. Yes. Uh, public financing, you know, you run into, you know, what is so far an insurmountable block, which is basically the people that are benefiting from the system as it is have to vote on getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a big you know, block. And, uh, yeah. and that, and that, believe me, is a bipartisan thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because, because not only do you have that, but you've got the, you know, the unsolvable question of who puts the gun down first. Oh, right, right. You know, uh, you know, and. Even so, I mean, you can't do you can't do anything like that until you get rid of Citizens United. Yes, that's got to be the first move because that obviate that obviates any kind of campaign financing law, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, yeah, including state including state laws, because the first thing they went after after Citizens United, the first thing that people who won that case went after were places like Montana, which ab- or Montana forbade corporate contributions of any kind in their elections. Yeah. And the, that, that law was a hundred years old and it was one of the first ones to fall. And because as we know, to the conservative mind, states rights is a very flexible decision. <laughs> you could say that again. 
Oh, my God. Yeah, and strangely enough, I was able to convince my Republican dad that uh, public financing of elections is a good idea, and he absolutely agreed on that. We don't agree on much politically, but that was one of the things, and uh, I was kind of surprised by that. But, yeah, I think well, it's— Well, good. Uh, it got you through Thanksgiving dinner anyway. <laughs> exactly. So Michael Manbeck asked— where, where's, your, where's, where's your family, Bob? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, uh, my dad's originally from New York City. Uh, my mom's originally from Pittsburgh. Yeah, okay, both... so you don't, you don't have family in Hawaii. That was oh, that no. was purely you. That <laughs> yeah, was purely that, you. That was me, like like escaping on a rocket from living in Pennsylvania <laughs> for twenty five years. So uh, let's see. Michael Manbeck asks, considering the upcoming debt ceiling issue, which would be worse for the economy: defaulting or minting a trillion dollar coin to avoid the default? That's <laughs> right. I mean. One of the one of the great things when when the when the coin the minting the coin thing first came up, yeah, uh, was Paul Krugman actually getting on board. Oh Saying, yeah, that's you know, right. It's not the worst idea I ever heard. They can do it, right? I mean, that's the thing about the federal government; they can print money. That's one of the many things that makes it different from running a business. Is if it gets into financial trouble, we can just print more money. Right. Uh, no, I think you know the the. Uh, First of all, I mean, I would like to get rid of the debt ceiling. Yeah, agree. Because it's caused nothing but problems. Uh, it worked fine until, you know, it was one of those things about government that worked fine until the Republican Party lost its mind. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 its functioning is completely dependent on relatively, you know, us having a relatively functional legislature, which yeah. we don't have right now. A good faith uh, argument as to what it even is, which we don't have. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, we, you know, and and you know, a, a, a good faith agreement on what national on what national debt means. Well, uh, here's your first sports question, Charlie, from uh, Linda okay. Linda O'Brien. I'll sport the sports. She writes, "How do you feel about this whole pitch clock in baseball? Will it make the game better it. or just a pain in the ass?" I've been arguing for the pitch clock for decades. I argued for the pitch clock when I was writing a sports column at the Boston Herald, which wow. is 35 years ago now. Uh, it, it, you know, it got ridiculous after a while. You know, you don't, they can tinker with it and they can, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it should decide a game. You know, it's already decided one exhibition game mm -hmm. and that was sort of embarrassing, but you know, it, 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 it just got the, between, between, you know, the pitcher going out for a sandwich on the mound and batters retaliating by stepping in and out of the box. I mean, it's, 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 it's a big part of baseball where nothing happens. Baseball has a problem. You know, it's devotees will tell you it's one of the one, one of the marvels of it. Uh, you know, that there are long stretches where nothing happens. Yeah. But this is some, this is something where something is supposed to be happening. Is it right? So, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I was, I was, I was very much in favor of a shot clock in college basketball, and I'm very much in favor of of, of a pitch clock in, in 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 baseball. And yes, they'll have to tinker with it a little bit, but I think by the middle of July, when we're not running, you know, four hour two to one games anymore, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think a lot of it will, you know people will be happy. I mean, you know, you'll sell less beer, but you know that you know there are sacrifices that have to be made. How long would the pitch clock be? Thirty seconds? What is it? Uh, that's fine. What they have right now is fine with me. Uh, you just got to get umpires who are willing to call it. Oh, so it's already been implemented? 
Well, it's been implemented in, the, in in exhibition season, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. That's how out of the loop I am with baseball these days. I mean, I used to get paid to go to spring training and watch exhibition baseball. Unless I'm getting paid, I don't watch exhibition baseball. Oh, right, right. What's the penalty if you miss it? What's the penalty if it? Oh, uh, uh, well, you, you, you get a you get you get a ball. You get a you know you get ball three called. Oh, interesting. Or you know, or ball one called. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see here. Uh, moving on. Oh, I'm sure you're going to love this question from Pam Damala. What really is going on between you and Jody Hamilton, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> I have no comment on that matter at this time. <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Jody Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> Laura, Laura, I, <laughs> what do you say? I have nothing. As I said, I have nothing to say. Oh, well, let's move on. Let us move on to the next question. All right, La- <laughs> Laura Emin asks, Charlie, I've heard you mention Wisconsin quite a bit over the years, and you seem fond of the place. What is your connection to Wisconsin? A Badger girl wants to know. Thank you. I, I went. I went to Marquette University. I lived in, I lived in Milwaukee for five years and, you know, came to just, first of all, to adore the city. And then beyond that, to adore the state, this was back when Wisconsin, of course, was the historic vanguard of progressive politics. Oh yeah. Right. You know, Wisconsin gave us the direct primary. Mm -hmm. It gave us the popular election of senators. Uh, It gave us, you know, and, and people in California may, may not be happy about this, but it gave us initiative and petition too. Uh, or re- initiative and referendum too. Uh, I, you know, I just, I just, you know, I just, I just love the place, and I, and it's, it's great. It broke my heart to see what happened to it yeah. when the crazy people got a hold of it. Uh, what drew you to Wisconsin? What drew you to Marquette? Was it uh, well, progressive it's, politics it's, or something it's, else? It's, it's, it's very funny, actually. Uh, I wanted, you know, God help me, at the end of high school to go to journalism school. Uh, I wanted to get away from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Marquette was a Jesuit institution, so my parents were mollified that way. And one of the big reasons was I loved Al McGuire and the basketball program. I just thought they were a hoot, and I thought this would be a good place to spend four years. And by the time I realized that, you know, the J School, which right now is is, is in an incredible place, at the time was just a, you know, it wasn't even remotely close. It was it lost its accreditation, which they didn't tell us, by the way, when we applied. Uh, and it was, you know, it was populated by faculty members who had like been rejected by the Catholic press. So by the time I realized that, you know, the J school career was going to be a, you know, roller, you know, was going to be a, an easy slide to a degree. Mm-hmm. I was lo- in love with the place so much. I just stayed. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, I just I just really liked the place. I liked the people. I liked a lot. I mean, I have friends there that I still have. Yeah. Uh, I go back and I still, you know, a lot of my usual hangouts are gone now, unfortunately, but some of them are still there. And uh, yeah, I mean, and I think it's, a, I think as it turned out, it's been a lab rat for conservative politics. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can make it work in Wisconsin, they can make it work anywhere. Was sports journalism always your aspiration? Was that always your goal? or was uh, it just at, the time, at the time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I was lucky enough to uh, to get hired in 1979 uh, by the Boston Phoenix, which, by the way, folded 10 years ago today. Uh, and at which point I became a generalist and it got into a lot of political writing, both in the state and federal level and kept the sports thing in my back pocket uh, and spent five absolutely glorious years with some of the most. Ta- I mean, our, I would put the Boston Phoenix alumni 
up against the alumni of any other newspaper in America. Hmm. Amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, from you know, the, the, the movie critics alone were an all-star team. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you get into, you know, even, you know, the guy that I started on the same day at the Phoenix as Michael Rosendas, the guy Mark Ruffalo played. In, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Michael and I, my, yeah, my, Michael and I started on the same day. Uh, and, you know, of course, he went to the, he obviously, you know, he went to the Globe after that. But I ran into Ruffalo. Ruffalo was at one of the debates, uh, one of the Democratic debates in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, or 2020. I can't remember which one it was. But he was there spinning, you know, his clean water is his, uh, you know, his, his issue, uh, mm-hmm. especially uh, the forever chemical issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I got to go up to him and tell him how much I liked his portrayal of Michael. And, he, and the first thing he asked me was, did I get him? And I said, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> That's incredible. What an incredible insight. That's an amazing connection. Because I know, you know, I, I, because I worked at the Globe, at the Globe magazine for nine years, and there was always, you know, a kind of journalism community in, 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 in Boston. I knew all those guys. Uh, you know, I, Sasha Pfeiffer and I worked together for years, and Robbie was a legend, the, you know, the, the, the uh, Michael Keaton character. And, and Matt, Matty Carroll, the Brian, uh, Brian, I can remember, never remember the actor's name, uh, he started with me at the Herald and then moved to the Globe. So, and if you watch when they go down to the library in the reconstituted Globe root newsroom, they go right by my old office at the magazine. Oh my God! Wow. Okay, and I'm gonna but, have to look for that rebuilt, scene. They, they, you know, it isn't the actual Globe. They rebuilt the Globe newsroom in Toronto. Right, right. Because that's what you do. You know, when you're when you're you know doing movies now, you make. Toronto behaved like everything. Well, then we look it's for, like at the beginning. It's we, like at the beginning. It's like at the beginning of Tommy Boy, where Tommy gets <laughs> his degree from Marquette. They filmed that at at uh, North Carolina. <laughs> I didn't know that. These beautiful, you know, campus quad buildings with archways and stuff. Uh-huh. And when I went to Marquette, Marquette was an urban campus. It had side streets running through it. It's different now because you know they've they've built it up and they've got a lot of money. Some of which, unfortunately, came from. You know the Bradley Foundation and the Eline money and mm-hmm. some of the some of the, the you know wingnut money in Wisconsin, but yeah, I, I got a very good kick out of that uh, because you know obviously Farley was a was a Marquette graduate. You know this might be a loaded question for you, Charlie, but what's your take on uh, the idea of citizen journalism or just anyone who writes about something on the internet? calling themselves a journalist. Is that something that you're okay with as someone who went to journalism yeah, school? I mean, I, I mean, I think, I, th- I think, I think, I think, you know, I, to me, it's, you know, Duke Ellington on music, you yeah, know, there's, yeah. there, there's two kinds of music, good music and bad music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I had the usual, you know, old fart, uh, uh, skepticism for a long time about the web. But then I started reading people like Marcy Wheeler yeah. and, Josh Marshall and, and people like that who were doing real, I mean, especially, you know, I mean, people don't remember Josh Marshall really made his bones chasing the U S attorney scandal, which nobody else, nobody else chased. But what really turned me around on it was Dave Cullen's work in salon about Columbine. Interesting. I mean, that he should have won every damn award there was Mm -hmm. for that, for, for, for going deep and, and understanding that horrible event, you know, God help, God help the poor guy. He's become an authority on them now. But, uh, you know, his ongoing work. And, and then as I gradually realized that as a child of the alternative press, 
I realized that I was behaving towards online journalism the way mainstream dailies behave toward us until they came to respect us, until they came (laughs) to respect us. Essentially, uh, you know, the online journalism of that time was the alternative press. Right. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it it became, you know, you know, the wet, the the Internet became one of the death blows to the alternative press. Mm -hmm. There's no Boston Phoenix anymore because of the Internet, largely. I feel like we could do an entire show on this topic, and maybe we will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, oh, yeah. I think I mean, we should. I, I've to, you know, I've taught when I worked, I worked for Grantland. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, which was run by Bill Simmons. And Bill and I had a lot of falling out, but we had a, a come to Jesus dinner in Boston before I signed with Grantland. Uh, and I told him, I said, look, you and I essentially followed the same career path. I didn't want to go through the, you know, first you work in Appleton, then you work in Waukesha, then you work in Milwaukee. Then if you're incredibly lucky when you're 35, you get a job at the Washington Post. I said, I didn't want to do that. So I went to the alternative press. I went to the Phoenix and wrote my way in that way. I said, you went to the internet. You had the same, he was at the Boston Herald working on the sports desk when he started his online presence, uh, Boston sports guy. I said, you did the same damn thing. We both followed the same, we both followed the same career path for the same reason. Yep. We were in pain. We were impatient young guys with talent, and we didn't want to wait our turn. So, yeah, I mean, that that, that was a, a – realizing that was a watershed moment for me on uh, – plus, you know, for a while it looked like the, the online people, and I – you know, this I, I addressed that people like T-Bog and, and you and Chez, and I, you guys were the only ones who were having any fun. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that some days. Everybody else was so today. goddamn grim. Yeah, right, right. I mean, they you know, they – T-Bog's column, and I, I, I yearn for everyone to go back to it. Yes. About dismissing the I need a pony leftists. He was the which best. Which is about 700 words long, and it is one of the funniest things <laughs> I have ever read. Yes. He, he was, out of Blogosphere 1.0, he was one of those guys that was endlessly entertaining, endlessly hilarious, and he could make those salient points that uh, very few others had the ability to do. I know you're amazing at doing that, cutting right through an issue, cutting to the core of it, and doing it with uh, clever turns of phrases and jokes and everything like that, too, in addition to all the information as well. It seems like it should be more common that it is, but it's not. It's the same thing with Stephanie Miller and the progressive landscape on the radio, if there is one at all. There should be more shows like Stephanie Miller, and I don't know why left broadcasters haven't figured that out yet, but you know, that's yeah, just... I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think, sir, I, I think Randy Rhodes is probably the closest. You can get. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, I mean, I mean, I love, I mean, I, I, I love Tom Hartman. Mm-hmm. I really do, mm-hmm. but I couldn't do what Tom Hartman does. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, my, my, my tongue would snap off its roller. <laughs> uh, if I, if I tried to be that, if I tried to be as serious as Tom was, as yeah. Tom is for three and a half hours a day. Talk about a Renaissance man. Yeah. yeah, he's done yeah, just he about everything. Yeah, he and I have a profound dis- have a profound disagreement on the concept of judicial review. Yeah, uh, but I have to admit that the Roberts Court is sort of uh, the Roberts Court is sort of uh, is is pretty good exhibit A on his part on his, on the on the side of his argument. No, I, I you know the, obviously the left fell down uh, when it when talk radio took off. Yeah, after the fairness doctrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and the FCC became even more toothless than it was. Yeah. The, the left didn't see that coming. I partially recouped 
by being farther ahead on the internet than the, than the conservatives were. Well, hopefully uh, we'll figure it out soon <laughs> as far yeah. as that goes, because uh, having the entire AM dial occupied by every uh, Red Hat screecher is not good for democracy. And- well, no, and I, I, I really, I really the, to me, one of the great problems with the, the conservative you know, monopoly on the radio is that it's all nationally syndicated crap. Yeah. You can drive all the way across the country every day and listen to nothing but Rush Limbaugh, or not anymore, but mm-hmm. you could listen to nothing but Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity because they were on every station. Yeah. Where yeah. are our local nuts? You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I came up in a full, at a full-service AM radio station. It was entirely local programming, and now it's wall-to-wall wing nuts. It's an incredible and awful transformation, and I think a lot of uh, communities have been irreparably damaged by that switchover from that local programming, that local flavor, local personalities into this syndicated dreck. But yeah, I mean, when, I, when, I, when I would go on, on a political road trip, yeah. I would get in my rent car and I would turn on the AM dial and listen to whatever the local drive time guy was screeching about. Uh-huh. And it would give me it would give me a good sense of, of, you know, the local politics that were driving the national politics before a primary state. Yeah. And I've heard it's really kind of I don't know if this it's it's a direct result of what's being broadcast on the radio. But I've heard a lot of these small towns have become quite homogenized as far as their cultures go. Like you go, every town might have its own flavor back in the day, but now it's kind of the same kinds of people with the white pickup trucks and the Trump flags and the MAGA hats and the rest of it. It's kind of all the same. It's just oneness, this uh, this kind of cult almost mentality among uh, a lot of the people in some of these small towns. It's a real shame. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we're talking, we're talking about, uh, we're talking to me anyway, we're talking uh, uh, to a real paradox. Yeah. We've become a homogenized nation, but we've homogenized into two camps, which are completely homogenized and at the same time, completely opposed to each other. Okay. One last break back with more Charlie Pierce right after this. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I got a few more questions here for you, Charlie, before we wrap up. Uh, PJ Shapiro asks, what's the worst baseball movie ever made, and why is it Field of Dreams? <laughs> we were apparently supposed to debate Do this. Do yeah. not get me started. <laughs> that, is, that movie is an abomination on so many damn Really? Levels. Oh, first of all, okay, let's establish what Field of Dreams was supposed to be about, okay? It was supposed to be about the power of baseball 
and the power of memory. Okay. Mm. Yeah. First of all, there are no Negro League players in the cornfield. Mm-hmm. So basically, what you're hearkening back to is segregated baseball. There was no room for Satchel Page or Cool Papa Bell or Josh Gibson in the cornfield. Second <laughs> of all, they can't even get Shoeless Joe Bet Jackson batting from the correct side of the plate. This is supposed to be about baseball and memory, and they got Shoeless Joe Ray Liotta batting right-handed. Oh, my God. Third of all. I didn't even notice that. All right. Yeah. Oh, first thing I noticed. Conceded. Third of all, (laughs) and by comparison, (laughs) D.B. Sweeney, who played Shoeless Joe Jackson in John Sales' far superior eight men out, learned to bat left-handed. He had been a like a high school baseball player who batted right-handed. He learned to bat to, to credibly look like he's batting left-handed uh, in that movie. Third of all, changing J.D. Salinger into a black guy, a black radical from the 60s, who gives a, a heartfelt maudlin speech about the glory days of segregated baseball is an offense against history that is absolutely unforgivable. Plus, Kevin Costner's wife is a screechy liberal harridan, uh, and and was written as such. So yeah, oh, I have I have I have almost limitless scorn for that. <laughs> oh my god, I had no idea you felt this strongly oh, about it. Wow. Oh, I have I have fought that movie so hard. I mean, I think Major <laughs> League is a better movie, or certainly a more accurate baseball movie uh, than 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 Field of Dreams is. What? I think you know I think Paul Durham is in another. You know, it's in another universe entirely. Oh yeah, is that because the best for, for authentic for authenticity? The baseball stuff in 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 Bull Durham is just wonderful. Yeah, I agree. Except you know, Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson looks like he's bailing a <laughs> as a pitcher. But uh, you know, other than that, you know, Kevin Costner's thing. Uh, you know, the whole thing about you know you need to practice your interviews. That kind of shit actually happens in the minor leagues. Yeah. You know, they learn to become bo- They learn to become boring on camera. Right, right. Yeah, I, I've heard that. And and also... And, that, yeah, and, and the speech that Kevin Costner gives at the end when he's drunk, where he starts talking about, you know, one, extra, one, one base hit a week and you're playing in Yankee Stadium, that's the dream of every minor league player. You know, if I could just get one to fall in for me, uh, you know, one more to fall in for me every week, I'll hit 300 and I'll get called up. I mean, that was, I mean, that, that Ron Shelton was a minor league player and it absolutely shows in that script. And, you know, the whole Susan Sarandon romance thing was fine with me, too. Yeah. Uh, I thought her character was was well-drawn and funny. I feel like Bull Durham did for minor league baseball what Gettysburg did for the town of Gettysburg. I, I feel like it, it generated uh, significant interest that wasn't there Oh, yeah, it, it. Got, it got the city of Durham a new stadium. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went, I, I had a lot of friends live, I have some very good friends who lived in Durham. Uh, we went to the old ballpark when I was down there visiting one time, and it was great. I mean, the, the best, the greatest show on dirt. I mean, it was just it was, it was a great place, but it was also fall. It was also a WPA project that was falling apart. So, but you know, yeah, I mean, I think there was a a great. I mean, there was such a great interest in the minor leagues that Major League Baseball moved to screw it up, which was well, you know uh, how you know how you know every anything is is. Uh, uh, is succeeding in baseball is that major league baseball moves to screw it up. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, that's, you know, I think, I think certainly that, 
you know, th- th- that the level of authenticity and the kind of grittiness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the guy, the, the, the guy, the guy with the, the guy with the cursed bat, the, 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 excuse me, the guy with the cursed glove. <laughs> and, yeah. and we now, and the, the wonderful meeting on the mound where they're talking about what to get the guy for his wedding. And, and Kevin Costner turns to Robert Wool, who, by the way, is the most underrated part of that movie. Oh, yeah. And, yes. and says, we're dealing with a lot of shit here. <laughs> And Robert Wolf says, Robert Wolf, Wolf, Robert Wolf says, well, if you know, you know, if you find out where she's, she's registered, maybe a place setting, you know, candlesticks are a nice gift. Let's get two. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what happened. It's such a wonderful film. Oh my God. Now I want to go watch it again. Uh, one last question for you, Charlie. And this is another sports question. This comes from Jason Kirker. I will also go sports ball. What's with the hatred of Notre Dame? As an alum with a conflicted relationship toward my alma mater, I'm genuinely intrigued. As, as a child of the Irish diaspora, I feel like I feel towards Notre Dame the way black people feel toward Amos and Andy. Oh wow! Uh, but plus, plus, plus the the culture of Notre Dame sports is completely insufferable. Plus, you know, as, as we don't at Marquette, we dropped football in 1960. We 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 you know achieved sanity in 1960. Uh, but they were our they were our primary they in Kentucky were our primary rivals uh, on the basketball court uh, and so any you know any any time plus let's throw, let's face it they've turned into the Bob Jones University of Catholic conservative law school. <laughs> it's also true. Oh, I mean, my, God. my God, they were the one who sponsored that that event in Rome where Alito good condemned overseas <laughs> you know and, and amy coney barrett is a, is is a product uh oh yeah so, right. you know, i mean as much as i i i you know am kind of deplore the amount of money that my own alma mater may have gotten from the radley foundation uh notre dame has signed on notre dame's law school has signed on completely to the you know conservative catholic uh renaissance in the legal profession so that's another reason not to like them <laughs> All right, I'll take your word for it, Charlie. But, but, but I'll tell you my my last Notre Dame story. They put I've applied there, believe it or not. Hmm. They put me on the waiting list, and then they wrote they, they got in touch with me saying they had inadvertently put me on the rolling on the waiting list, and I said, well, that's okay, just move me over to you know whatever. And I got a call from the president of the Notre Dame Club of New York, at home, person to person, long distance. Also apologizing and asking me to consider Notre Dame. And I hung up and I told my parents, man, that alumni association is something. And I said, <laughs> I don't know if I want to be under that much surveillance for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's nice to be wanted, right? <laughs> oh, I mean, it was astonishing. And then, then, of course, then of course, I took I accepted my my I, you know, I, I confirmed my acceptance to Marquette. Only to get a letter two weeks later saying they they couldn't they couldn't work on my application because my application fee had bounced. My father oh, no. had written the check on the wrong bank account. Oh god! So I was accepted, but I hadn't been, you know. And, and the Jesuits, you know, they're very careful about money, so they they they, they waited till I got my job. My college admissions process was a mess. Uh, basically, you know, wow! Because I didn't take I didn't take it overly serious. I certainly. Wasn't going to try for the Ivy League or anything, but uh, <laughs> anyway, that was that's the story of my misspent youth, or part of it anyway. 
So this November is the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK, and and you and I are going to have to reconvene and do, you know, an hour, hour and a half or something like that talking about uh, that event in history. Uh, not just the conspiracy theories, but also the ramifications of of what happened in Dallas and, and the long shadow that it created. So uh, I hope you're available this coming oh, November. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I have- I absolutely, I absolutely will. You talk about you talk about stuff on which Tom Hartman has gone deep. Oh, he's written like he's written like three six hundred page books about on the about the JFK. Oh, really, I didn't even know that. Oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, he's, he has a, has a, a writing partner named Lamar Waldron, and they've got you know he is on the side of you know he's sort of he's on the extreme of my position, which is. You know, let's know everything now. Yeah, but he's Agreed. got a theory that that it was a an, an abortive uh, Castro assassination plan that got turned back. Oh, it was an abortive you know, Castro a, assassination? Is that no, no, said? no, an abortive plan to ca- to kill Castro. Yeah, that got turned back on the Kennedys. Uh, Interesting. By, uh, you know, by the involvement of the mob and everything else. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that if that was. You know, I don't want to get, you know, you know, give people a complete trailer for our November show. But, you know, that that was Bobby Kennedy's original thought in the immediate, immediate aftermath. Yeah. He called John McCloy and said, did one of your guys do this? Yeah. Because, I mean, people don't realize what a incredible snake pit the intelligence community was back then. I was just going to say, from a modern context, it seems almost inconceivable how fucked up it was and how dark it got in that period. I mean, especially I, held, in that period I, I have held, and anyone can do this at the JFK library. Yeah. I held the Operation Northwards memo in my hand. Oh, that's Where they right. were talking about blowing up John Glenn on the launch pad and blaming it on Castro. And it's got, it went all the way to McNamara. Yep. I mean, it went all the way to the Secretary of Defense. This crazy freaking plan of setting off bombs in cities and blowing up John Glenn. Uh, and blaming it on Castro so we'd have an excuse to invade. And it's amazing because it's kind the, of a... It's these, kind of, the, I, mean, no, I mean, in the immortal words of the late Steve Gilliard, these people crazy. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of a repeat of how they generated a war, the Spanish-American War. It's the same and kind of thing. And it's a repeat on how they generated the Second Iraq War. Yeah, right. Exactly right. Remember the, the balsa wood gliders that were going to come through our air defenses and drop anthrax? <laughs> God, I forgot about the balsa wood. How could I have forgotten about the balsa wood gliders? Yeah, we spend uh, we we spend a hundred gazillion dollars uh, on early warning systems, and and you know Saddam's going to send like the the fifty eight cent gliders you used to get from comic books full of anthrax over the border. God, I remember that. What was it? There was a memo that went out. It was the. PNAC memo with the progress for a new American yeah. century. And they were saying something about having a Pearl Harbor style event that would prompt a yeah, regime yeah, change I mean, in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, you, a lot, I mean, people get into the intelligence community and some people I'm sure do fine work, but it's really a dangerous place. If you happen to have latent sociopathic tendencies, <laughs> yeah, because no you're sure. encouraged, you're encouraged to let them fly. I uh-huh. mean, all right. All right, Charlie. Well, thank you so much today. Really, really appreciate your time. Hey, I, uh, I didn't even realize we started the podcast until about five minutes into it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of casual in that sense. We just kind of roll All right. right. Take care about it. Thanks, my friend. Talk to you soon. 